before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness, an inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness, brave men would not venture, for as the map says, here, there be monsters. Welcome to Here There Be Monsters Podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. Thank you for tuning in. I've got quite a show for you this evening, but before we dig in too far, a little announcement. If you've had a creepy encounter and would like to tell your tale, please give the Here There Be Monsters Podcast hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. You will be routed to a voicemail recorder where you can leave your message. The call is free and relatively painless. Now, if you're not the talkative type, you have the option to submit via your keyboard. Simply head over to www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the Sightings tab. There you will find both the email to the show and a completely anonymous submission field for you to leave your story. Now, a bit of a spoiler alert here, but I'm doing my best to make the topic for next week's show Shadow People. So if you have a story in your back pocket, now's the time to call in. Okay, let's get into it. We've all encountered a dark figure at the end of an alley, a silhouette outside of our window, or an eerie voice on the other end of the line. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, your frightening encounter will simply be a miscommunication or a figment of your own imagination. But that one time, that time could be different. Tonight, I'm going to play a few calls and read a few stories about odd encounters with the scariest of all Earth's creatures human beings. Our first call of the evening comes from a Navy man in South Carolina. Back in 2009, I joined uh, the Navy, and I went to Charleston, South Carolina, where I was stationed for a couple years. While I was there, a lot of us would, you know, go out on the weekends or whatever in downtown Charleston. There was an area south of Goose Creek where there were uh, a couple tattoo shops where a lot of the guys like to go get tattoos. We'd go hang out there and, you know, somebody would get a tattoo or whatever and we'd all just kind of hang out. Well, 
a bunch of us smoked and we went outside to go smoke while one of our buddies was getting a tattoo. It was about nine o'clock at night. Guy had been getting his tattoo for about three hours. He had about another hour left at work, so we were just hanging out. And as we're being a couple of buddies are standing outside smoking, across the street from the tattoo parlor, there was a bunch of uh, cemeteries. I think there was like a crematorium right across the street. And then behind it, I believe there was uh, a bunch of uh, graveyards. Uh, I think it was the uh, Bethany graveyards, I believe. We're standing there smoking and uh, there was a man standing on the corner across the street from us. And we didn't really pay him any mind. Just kind of smoked our cigarettes, joked around, put him out, went back inside. Uh, about 10, 15 minutes later, went out to go have another cigarette, and the man's still standing there. And there wasn't anything real descript about the man, I guess, besides the fact that he was completely nondescript. I mean, he was wearing all dark clothing and a long coat, but it was, I, I think it was February. So it wasn't exactly warm outside. Didn't really pay it any mind. Again, just kind of, you know, thought it was weird. Thought maybe he was waiting on a bus or a buddy or something like that. And, uh, you know, went back inside. Uh, so about 10 minutes later, uh, my buddy finishes up his tattoo and we, you know, we're going to go back to base. Uh, at the time I was living in the barracks and on the way back to base, one of my buddies said something along the lines of, Hey, did you see that guy? And I thought he was referencing the guy that had been standing across the street from us when we were at the tattoo parlor. And I said, yeah, you know, it was weird. He just stood there for like 30 minutes. It was, I figured he was waiting on a buddy or something. He goes, no, 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 no. The guy, there was a guy right outside the window just now. And so me and my buddy are laughing, you know, oh, okay, whatever, dude, whatever. You know, thinking he's, you know, playing a joke or being stupid or whatever. And, well, we get back to base, check in, go up to the barracks rooms. In the, in the barracks, you weren't allowed to smoke anywhere. You had to go down to a designated area. So... You know, I decide you know, I'm going to put all my stuff away. I'm going to go grab another cigarette before I go to bed. And so put my boots back on and head down. And uh, the way the base was set up was there was a large, uh, like a large open area in between all the barracks. And in the big open area, there was a few uh, little pavilions all the way down until you got to the main building of the base. Those were the designated smoke areas. And my building happened to be the last building on the row. Uh, so I go down to the little pavilion in the middle and uh i light up my cigarette there's a couple other guys there we start talking about you know what's going on the next day what we got to take care of you know normal stuff and i look over and the guy from the tattoo parlor the like nondescript guy it looked like and i don't know you know i may be wrong it might just have been somebody in a pea coat uh the long wool jackets that the navy guys have it might have just been that but it on it it looked like the same guy was standing over on the edge of the tree line and on the edge of the tree line before you leave base there's a, a wooden path and on the other side of the path there's a parking lot you have to check out in your car before you can leave base and there's a big you know big chain link fence barbed wire on top normal military base setup so i thought it was weird and i thought about going and telling the guard but you know, if you bring anything like that up to the guard, it's a lot of paperwork. You have to sit there with them and fill out a bunch of stuff. And I was tired. I had to be up at four the next morning. So I thought, you know what, if he's on base, he's probably supposed to be on base. So I just went to bed. A couple days later, one of my buddies told me that he had seen something similar. One of the guys who was at the tattoo parlor, we were sitting there 
eating lunch and he said hey man you remember that guy who was standing outside the tattoo parlor over by the graveyard and i said yeah the one who was just there for 30 minutes he said yeah i saw that guy on base and i said what do you mean you saw that guy on base he said i was smoking uh right outside right outside the the main building right outside the quarter deck and uh he was standing over on the edge of the over on the edge of the trees and i told him what i had seen and so we went and told the guard and you know, decided it was, yeah, if more than one of us is seeing this guy and it's the same people seeing this guy over and over, we need to tell the guard. So we went and told the guard. The guard wrote down all of our information, but we never heard anything about it after that while I was on base. And the only reason that I even thought anything weird about it is uh, about a year and a half ago, I was online reading a creepypasta, and it was the same kind of deal, that if you were standing on the edge of uh, Bethany Graveyard, there was a man and if you made eye contact with him, he would follow you. And uh, it would, I don't know how the story ended. I don't remember. It was something stupid like, you know, the hokey creepypasta stuff. Like, if you let him catch you, he kills you or something. I don't remember. But I just remember that there was more than one of us that saw this guy. And, uh, I mean, I don't think he was supposed to be on base. I don't know how he got on base because you had to show ID to get on and you had to be you had to check in and out. But... I mean, apparently I'm not the only one who saw this guy. Me and my buddy weren't. And apparently it's a big enough thing that in Charleston it's a known thing that we just, you know, didn't know about. So that's my story. Have a good one. And thank you for sharing your story and thank you so much for your service. Freaking yourself out is one thing, but when others verify what you think you saw, it can be downright terrifying. As the caller said, it's quite possible that what he saw was simply just another enlisted man, out for a stroll and out for a walk later on. Bigger coincidences have happened, but the caller admits that the coincidence was strange enough that he contemplated alerting the guards, so obviously there was something strange about the man. I'd be curious to know if anything ever came of the report. Surely there were cameras at the base. It'd be great to have a look at this man's face. One thing is for certain, the city of Charleston, South Carolina is steeped in history and saturated with purported ghostly activity. Now to get a sense of the area, I've posted a link to a video tour of the very cemetery the caller is referring to in the show notes for today's show. So head on over there and check it out. Thank you for calling and thank you so much for sharing your story. Our next story comes to us from Oregon, where apparently their mystery people are much more intrusive. I was 16 and my first girlfriend was borrowing her mom's car for the night. We were driving around my small town in Oregon around midnight in mid-July. We pulled into my street and she slowed the car way down and looked absolutely terrified. She let the car come to a rolling stop and turned sheet white. I asked her, what? What is it? She looked over at me and said, you don't see that kid standing in the road? I thought she was just trying to freak me out. No, I, I, I can't see. It's too dark, I replied back to her. She shook her head and said, never mind, he's gone, I guess. She drives a short way to my house and then she says, you really didn't see that little boy? Now, I can't describe what happened next. It's so bizarre. It was almost like I left my body momentarily, or I wasn't in control of what was happening. 
But I looked over at her with what can only be described as a maniacal smile and said, I am that boy. She screamed, a piercing shriek in the silence of the night. I shook my head and felt so cold even though it was a hot summer night. I asked her, what's wrong? She said, your face. It changed. You were him. I swear to God, you were him. You had a feather in your hair. I would have pressed her for more information, but by this point she was crying her eyes out. I had never seen her so scared before, and at this point I was terrified. We talked a little bit about it the next day, but she wanted to forget all about it. She was never comfortable driving on those roads at night ever again. Thank you for submitting your story. I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to see something like that through your windshield. But I can imagine it would be twice as chilling to look over and see it in your passenger seat. I wonder what actually happened here. Was there some sort of possession that took place? Why else would the submitter utter these words? I suppose it's possible that in her shaken state and in the low lighting, pareidolia set in and she saw a scary face. If you've ever held a flashlight under your chin during a ghost story, you can picture what she might have seen. And for those that aren't familiar, pareidolia is a psychological phenomenon involving a stimulus, either a sound or an image, wherein the mind perceives a familiar pattern of something where none actually exists. So in short, a sufferer will see a face where none actually exists because their brain searches out patterns and in their absence creates them. This story is a creepy one, no doubt. It's certainly one I'll be thinking about on my next overnight road trip. Thank you again for sharing. Our next submitter is a familiar voice. Eliza, whom called in a few weeks ago with a story about a UFO near Superstition Mountain, is back with a strange tale that happened to her husband. Let's give that a listen. Hello, this is Eliza again. On another episode, I heard you talking about the third, I think it's like the third man phenomenon, or basically, you know, like when someone shows up in time of need, and I have a story for you about that. It's actually my husband's story. But when he was a young fella living in Denver, or outside of Denver, he uh, was a big rock climber, and there's a feature outside of town there called the Flatirons, and he would go up to Flatirons all the time to go climbing. He would freestyle some stuff up there, which is, you know, you go without a rope, and, you know, you only do it if you really know what you're doing. But it was just, you know, one of his favorite little hobbies to do. And so he was up there soloing around, and there was a route that he wanted to try out. He'd never done it, and usually you don't freestyle something if you haven't climbed it with a rope first. But I think that it was had a relatively easy rating, and so he decided to, like, give it a try, feeling kind of bold or something. But he, um, he started up this climb, and, you know, he's got his chalk bag and his climbing shoes, and it was like a 5.7 or like a 5.8 or something. No, maybe not a 5.8, probably like a 5.6 or 7. But anyway, uh, yeah, so he started up this climb, and he, it was going fine, um, multi-pitch climb, which means basically that it's long for anyone who doesn't know climbing terms. But he was up into this climb and getting into, like, kind of a hairy section where 
he basically couldn't tell which way the route went and was, you know, high enough up and into the problem or the route that, you know, he couldn't really down climb. It was kind of like you got to go up and out. And if you go up the wrong line, like if you're kind of like start climbing up away, it could peter out and then you have nothing and you could get really stuck. And so he was kind of like panicking, I guess, because he said that, you know, he couldn't down climb and he didn't know which direction to go up. And there was a party up, up like a group of a uh, pair of climbers up above him. He could hear them every now and then. And so he was like thinking he's going to need to like shout up to them and they're going to have to like get down and do a little rescue on him. But then like right as he was realizing that maybe he's going to have to start screaming, um, this guy uh, soloing as well comes up the route behind him out of nowhere like he didn't he said that he like had would have noticed he felt like if someone was coming up and this guy he said was this older man and he said he was dressed in like pretty like casual attire and didn't have climbing shoes on he had like sneakers on and just kind of came up to him and was like hey buddy you know like you uh how you how you doing (laughs) i think what he, my husband said is he's just like, you know, I'm a little stuck. And he's like, the guy's like, well, follow me. And the guy started climbing, and Nick, was my husband, was climbing after him. And the guy was just cruising, he said, and kind of over, you know, got him through that section. He saw which way to go. And then all of a sudden, like, kind of he just crushed it up this route, and he lost track of him. And, uh, but he was on a clear, he could see which way to go now. And so he's climbing up and he gets up to this pair of climbers that were above him. And he asked them, hey, did you see a guy, uh, you know, climb through? And they said no, which is so crazy. And so he was just completely, you know, just overwhelmed with like, what the heck just happened? And so he climbed on, you know, climbed past the two climbers. He can go much faster when you don't have to deal with ropes and gear. And he thought that maybe he could get up to the top and that guy would be, you know, up there taking a break or, you know, usually you get up the top, you kind of chill out for a while. And he topped out and that guy was nowhere to be seen. And he asked a few other people and no one knew what he was talking about. So either this guy was like, some super casual mega climber dude who nobody like really knows who just comes and crushes stuff out in his sneakers or there was he just got touched by an angel or something <laughs> but yeah that, i thought that'd be a fun story to share all right i uh, love the show keep it up bye thank you again eliza and for your husband's sake i'm glad he had his encounter the third man factor she's speaking of is a rare but not unheard of phenomenon. Typically, a spirit or full-bodied entity will show up just at the right time to aid in a dangerous or trying situation, such as Eliza's husband. Now, of course, a skeptic would say that perhaps the climber was, you know, a regular who'd spent many days on that very rock face, so knowing it well was able to quickly scramble up, and, if he were quiet and fast enough, could pass an entire group by if they weren't paying attention. But without being there, on that wall, that day, you really don't know. The story is fascinating, and I really appreciate you sharing it, Eliza. Now, speaking of creepy yet heartwarming stories, our next submission seems to include a happy message from the other side. 
My friend Hal passed away in 2004 in a motorcycle accident at the young age of 26. He was an awesome person and we shared the same sick and strange sense of humor. Hal had multiple tattoos and one of those tattoos was a cat fighting a black snake. The day of his funeral, multiple strange things happened. First, while they removed his casket from the hearse, a cat was seen playing with a snake about 30 feet away. This was witnessed by his mother and sister. Now, the next strange event was when they attempted to lower the casket into the grave. The device used to do so kept having issues and it took longer than usual to lower him in. This alone is not that strange, but with the other circumstances, I thought maybe it was relevant. The strangest thing that happened, though, was myself and about five other people were on my friend's front porch sharing memories of our friend Hal and just having a couple beers. After about an hour, my friend's cat emerges from the backyard with a black snake in its mouth, and we all get a little freaked out. But we kind of laugh it off a few minutes later because we felt like our friend did this just to mess with us. I was not intoxicated at the time. I literally only had a couple beers. This was also witnessed by others who were not even drinking. This all may have just been a coincidence, but it seemed very strange at the time. Straight away, I want to say thank you for your submission. It's strange the little things we find solace in. When my grandmother died, my family somehow began noticing that there were a lot of dragonflies around. It didn't take long for us to begin assigning those dragonflies to either her spirit or a symbol of her visitation. The snake-fighting cat is a similar, albeit much more unlikely, occurrence. I find it amazing that the combination was witnessed not once, but twice in the same day. Realistically, what are those odds? For the submitter's sake, I truly hope it was Hal's way of saying hello. One last time. Thank you again for submitting your story. Let's finish off on a creepy note. Our next and final call comes to us from Bianca in New York. So my name is Bianca. Um, this story is actually about my dad. Um, this story goes back to upstate New York around um, Herkimer and Utica area. And this was actually a really freaky story that happened to my dad that he told me one time because it actually came on to Unsolved Mysteries, the show, when they were doing a special section with the Mohawk Valley in upstate New York State. So... My dad was in college, he did some partying, and he was at a party. He did a little bit of drinking, and unfortunately him and his friend were going to drive back to campus in Utica. And they were driving home, and on like some old roads, and they were in like the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, my dad driving, just pressed on the brakes, threw the e-brake up, and just skidded. And his friend was like, oh, what, what the hell was that? He's like, he's like, what are you trying to do, kill us? And my dad was like, you didn't see that? You didn't see that little kid in the road? And his friend was looking at him like he was totally insane. My dad was so spooked out. He got out of the car, looked around, didn't see a thing. Didn't see anyone. It was total pitch blackout. All he saw was the headlights on his car, and that was it. So... Being a little spooked himself, he got back in the car, 
friend was still in the car and he was like, dude, he's like, are you okay to drive home? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm okay. So they drove back, got to the dorm safely, you know, just another day. And I want to say when I was a kid, this might have been, I want to say maybe 15, 20 years later, I was in my living room at my house watching Unsolved Mysteries like I usually did when it was on when I was a kid. And they did a segment of the Mohawk Valley area. And we were all in the living room. And all of a sudden, this story came on. And my dad just, he was shocked. He just kind of sat back and was like, oh, my God. He was just so spooked. He he just couldn't believe it. And I just looked at him like I was just in total awe. I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I did think it was a little freaky, and it's interesting going back to the story. I guess um, a lot of people around this one turn in this specific area late at night would almost thought they saw a a little girl or a little boy holding like a doll and a blanket in the middle of the road, and people would just go off the road. They would get into a car accident, hit a deer, hit a tree, go in a ditch or whatnot, and um, they would they'd swear they were like, no, I, I saw something in the middle of the road, even though there was nothing there. Cops would come, nothing there at all. Um, so my dad was pretty spooked. Um, it definitely freaked me out. I thought it was a really interesting story, and I definitely believe him to this day that he, he did, in fact, see something. So that's my story. All right. I really like the show. Thank you. Bye. Of course, anyone that grew up in the 90s will recognize that music as the theme to Unsolved Mysteries, a show that gave us all nightmares for an entire decade. I tried extremely hard to find the Unsolved Mysteries clip Bianca referenced in her call, but due to copyright issues, a majority of the episodes cannot be found online, so I guess we'll just have to imagine how creepy it was. As for the call, I can't help but notice the similarity between her father's experience and the experience of the submitter back in Oregon. Both were traveling down a darkened road only to run into a young child. Unlike the Oregon submission, Bianca's story is validated through a television show. Of course, being featured on a TV show does not necessarily make it true, but it does lend a little credence to the claim. Thank you, Bianca, for taking the time to call in. Alright folks, that wraps it up for tonight's episode. I want to thank all of you for listening, and I want to offer a special thank you to tonight's submitters. Remember, follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to call in your own sighting. The Monster Hotline is always open and always free. 1-888-608-NIGHT Lastly, help support the show and buy some cool stuff in the process. Visit my Etsy shop, The Rag and Bone Emporium. There's plenty of creepy historical reproductions to go around. Lizzie Borden's axe. A lock used by Houdini himself. A lock of Edgar Allan Poe's hair and even Al Capone's prison 
processing papers. Every purchase made helps cover hosting fees and equipment upgrades for the show. Just move on over to the show's webpage at www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the Support the Show tab. There you will find a direct link to the shop. Use coupon code MONSTER for a 5% discount at checkout. Alright folks, that's it for tonight. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.